Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you've all been enjoying the uh, devotions in Genesis as much as I have, particularly, particularly the life of Joseph. What an amazing man. I think the most Christ-like man in Genesis, if not in the Old Testament. Wonderful, wonderful man. Um, today, we move on to Exodus, and we move on to a very different man, Moses. Uh, for the Israelites, this was a huge step change, as we'll see as we, uh, as we proceed through. Um, Joseph was full of uh, love and forgiveness, and uh, Exodus is full of plagues and judgment. Uh, sorry about that. Now, Exodus begins uh, in the Hebrew with the word and. And these are the names of the sons of Israel. That's the title. Conjunction and shows that Exodus follows seamlessly after Genesis. It's a continuing story. In Genesis chapter 15, we read, Then the Lord said to him, that's Abraham, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they'll be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, the Egyptians, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Then, then at the end of Genesis, the very last chapter that, uh, that Graham read from yesterday, it says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. But God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. And then he, he took his place in Hebrews chapter 11, that great hall of fame, hall of faith. Because it says of him, by faith, Joseph, when he, his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. And that was uh, five generations before it actually happened, when he spoke about that at the end of Genesis. In Exodus uh, chapter 1, the first five verses, it says the descendants of Jacob who went down to Egypt with him numbered 70 in all. Have you ever wondered why it's so specific? And it says that Joseph was already there in Egypt. But if we read in Acts chapter 7, verse 14, it says there were 75 in all. 70, 75. It's important to realize in writing the Bible, God did not make any mistakes. The book of Exodus, written in Hebrew, included Joseph, but didn't include his wife, nor his two sons, nor their two wives. That's an extra five people. However, the English translation of Exodus was done from the Greek, Septuagint. And that did include the extra five relatives of Joseph. I'll just mention that so that we're all clear 
It's not a mistake. There are no mistakes in the Bible. First, we see from verses 8 to 14 that the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly. They increased in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Even when they were oppressed by a new pharaoh who knew nothing about Joseph, they still multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread them and work them ruthlessly, we read in Exodus. Now, by the time they crossed the Red Sea into the Promised Land, it's thought that they numbered about two million men, women, and children. And they started with just 75 people. That's why the numbers are in, one of the reasons the numbers are, are included, I'm sure. They crossed the sea in about 1445 BC. Now, do you find that kind of population explosion hard to believe? From 75 to, to 2 million? Well, remember, the global population today started with two people, Adam and Eve. And today, numbers billions. So it's not so hard to believe when we put it in, into perspective like that. This population explosion also fulfilled God's promise to Abram. In Genesis 12, verse 2, to make him into a great nation. And they were, and they are today. So what was Pharaoh's response to the Hebrew problem? Verses 15 to 22, Pharaoh told the Hebrew midwives, kill the newborn babies, the newborn baby boys. But we're told they feared God. And they let the baby boys live. And then we read, so God was kind to the midwives. And the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. I don't know whether midwives usually didn't have families in Egypt back in those days. But here God was, uh, was really blessing these midwives, because of their faithfulness and because they feared God. Now, two midwives are mentioned by name in the passage, um, and they were probably leading representatives of the uh, midwifery profession. With such a huge population scattered all over Egypt, there must have been many midwives. And as they had failed, failed to do what Pharaoh ordered them to do, Pharaoh ordered that the Egyptian people should kill any newborn babies they found, Hebrew babies. Now, the midwives broke the law and risked their lives by disobeying Pharaoh's order. But they were not disobedient for personal or selfish reasons. They knew God did not sanction murder. And they feared God's retribution more than that of Pharaoh. Which brings us to a question, an important one today. Should we follow the midwives' example today? Are we free today to disobey laws? The New Testament is very clear. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities 
not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. That's Romans 13, 1 to 7. Something we do well to remember when we're tempted to exceed the speed limit. However, there's a caveat in Acts chapter 5. When the apostles disobeyed an order by the high priest and said, we must obey God rather than man. But only when the law is opposed to the scriptures, which are the will of God. What was happening here in Egypt was Satan's first attempt, I think, to exterminate the Hebrew people and block the promised Messiah by using Pharaoh and the midwives. But God had foretold in Genesis 3, verses 15 and 16, there would be enmity between Satan and Eve and between those who followed Satan and those who followed God. When it failed, Satan used King Herod in the New Testament to try to kill the newborn babies in Bethlehem. But that also failed. Then he used the Holocaust in Germany. And six million Jewish people were killed in the gas chambers in Germany. Many of them were children. But what about today? Can Christian doctors and nurses refuse to participate in abortions? The answer is no. Legally, they can't. They're employees of the NHS, and they have to do what they're told. And millions of babies are killed in, in the world today in, in almost every country. It's interesting that when... Uh, when abortion laws were discussed in the Knesset in the nation of Israel, someone stood up and reminded everyone of those that were <clears throat> the, the babies that were aborted uh, in, in their country, in Israel. Uh, and it was more than those who were killed in Germany in the Holocaust. And uh, the Knesset immediately uh, made it illegal for there to be abortions except on strict medical grounds. The second chapter is about Miriam and Moses. When Moses was born, his mother hid him for three months and then put him in a papyrus basket coated with tar and pitch she hid him among the reeds on the bank of the Nile, and Moses' older sister Miriam watched to see what would happen to him. The Pharaoh's daughter, we're not told her name, was bathing in the Nile, and her servant girls found the basket with Moses crying inside. She felt sorry for the baby. Miriam offered to find a Hebrew woman to breastfeed him, for she knew where there one would be, her mother. And Moses' mother. She took him to Moses' real mother, who took Moses back to Pharaoh's daughter when he was weaned, and she raised him as her own son. So Moses was raised as a prince of Egypt. During this time, he was protected by Pharaoh's daughter, and we're told in Acts chapter 7, he was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, 
They were the pyramid builders, remember, and was powerful in speech and action. We'll come back to that expression again in the next chapter when, uh, when Moses is talking to God at the burning bush. Now, when Moses was 40 years old, we're told in Acts that he went to watch his own people, the Hebrews, at their hard labor. When he saw an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew, he killed him, thinking that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. We're told that in Acts 7, 23 to 25. The Holy Spirit moved Luke, I think, to clarify in the book of Acts that Moses knew he was Hebrew and the promised deliverer, in contrast to the impression given by Charlton Heston in the Hollywood movie, The Ten Commandments, which is quite different. That movie has been so popular over the years that Christians often don't have a clear understanding of the real Moses and have never really studied Exodus in detail. When Pharaoh heard about the killing, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled. He crossed the Red Sea. He crossed the Sinai Peninsula. He crossed the Gulf of Aqaba. It was quite a journey to a land called Midian. And he lived there for 40 years. The Midianites were descendants of Abraham and his wife Keturah. We should read that in Genesis 25. And he married Zipporah's daughter, Zipporah, daughter of Jethro, priest of Midian. So Moses' self-imposed lockdown in Midian was a very different world from the Egyptian capital and the court. But he would have 40 years to adapt. We have been locked down for a few weeks. Will we and our churches be able to adapt when we come out of this lockdown? especially if Boris extends it even further, though hopefully not for 40 years. Tomorrow we go on to the burning bush and see how God calls Moses to do what he had always planned him for him to do. Moses, uh, as we'll see, feels very inadequate for the task, even though he was brought up as a prince of Egypt.